the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Do you know who you are in Christ? Because that's very, very important. You can't live the Christian life if you believe that being Christian is something that you do. It just doesn't work out that way. And God wants us to know who we are. And tonight we're going to address some of the issues of battling with who we are. The enemy battling against who we are. We're going to talk about temptation. What temptation is and, and how the enemy uses temptation to draw us away from truth. We're going to talk about sin and how sin is a distraction that makes us believe that we are sinful, that the old man is still alive, and that those desires that, that come against us are our desires. We're going to talk about these things. But I want you to know as we go through these verses, every one of these things in chapter 10 are written in the context of the new covenant truth that we are in Christ, that sin is not who we are, and that the flesh is not life for us, though it has life. Now, holding on to that, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not well pleased with most of them, speaking of the Israelites, for they were scattered along the ground in the wilderness because their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. Now the Amplified ends this verse with the reason most of the Israelites died in the wilderness, most being all but two. Obedience. It was their lack of self-control that led to disobedience. That's what it says. Now, I want you to understand something. And some of us, though we may profess to know this, uh, we struggle with it. Obedience is always going to be contrary to the inclinations of your flesh. Not sometimes, but always. If it can't pervert it, it will literally stand against it. There was only one way for them to overcome it. And that is through faith and trust in the God that delivered them. God was calling for their focus, their worship. They couldn't deliver themselves out of Egypt. And they can't deliver themselves from their fleshly appetites or inclinations. 
although God was willing to deliver them through faith and obedience. But they didn't choose that route. 1 Corinthians 10.6 Now these things, what he had written about them, the warnings, the admonitions took place as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Now what's happening is Paul is now turning the spotlight away from Israel and he's turning it on the Corinthians. And he's going to have what's known as a Dutch uncle talk with him. I never had a Dutch uncle, but I had quite a few of those talks. And technically he's going to kind of put his arm around him and say, now look guys, this is what's wrong, this is right, this is wrong. He turns the spotlight to them and he, he gives them a warning. He says, this is your warning. This is a caution to you against living to the appetites of the flesh. This look at where Israel ended up. They forsook the blessings that were theirs. They ignored the presence of God. They literally denied His provision in their life. They somehow believed that they had what they had by virtue of their own just desserts. And they really didn't want to think about it. We don't like to think about the truth that God is providing everything in our lives. We don't like to think about the truth that God is holding us together. You know, the scripture says he holds us together by the word of his power. You know what that means? That means that if he stopped holding you together, you would no longer exist. So every day that you wake up and you open your eyes, there's purpose because God's holding you together. But you know what else he's holding together? Everything around you. And you know what? If you refuse to see God in your life, you can't see God in anything else, can you? There's not any room for hope. There's not any room for worship, for thanksgiving. And then the bad just becomes bad and good become, just becomes good. And it's living out of the wrong tree. It's no longer living in life. Well, God has called us to something greater than that. Here's the thing. Paul says, this is an example for us to see. Don't live to your flesh. Don't live to the appetites of the flesh. You know, living to the flesh is really just a death march. That's all it is. It's a life of self-imposed bondage. It will end in death in the wilderness. And here's the thing. People are marching their way to the death of the body while dying all along the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Paul says to them, he says, Now, do not be worshipers of handmade gods, as some of them were. Just as it is written in Scripture, the people sat down to eat and drink after sacrificing to, go, to the golden calf at Horeb and stood up to play indulging in immoral activities. Now, this is, a, this is from Exodus 32. The Israelites waited until Moses got up on top of the mountain with God. They said, where is this Moses? Where is our God? In other words, we've lost visual contact with him. You know, I tell you what, let's make a God for ourselves. And Aaron went along with him and he crafted this golden calf and they celebrated the calf. They worshiped the calf. And it says right there what happened. They took the things of this world and fashioned for themselves something to worship. You know that that's pretty common, isn't it? 
They created something to worship. And here's the thing. Worship can be defined as something you give your attention to. It's something that you focus on. And they chose something other than God to be their focus, to give their attention to. But I want you to see, it is real simple. Real simple. You will be ruled by something. You will be ruled either by the flesh or you'll be ruled by the spirit. But you'll be ruled by something. And if what you choose to be ruled by, that's what you will worship. In the end, that's what you will worship. You can call yourself a Christian and you may very well be one. But if you choose to walk in the flesh and live after the flesh, you will worship the flesh. You'll be just as hung up in the things of this world as the lost man is. You'll have the same coping mechanisms that the lost man has got. The same distractions will distract you. And your only hold to righteousness will be in your behavior, which we know is a roller coaster ride. That's not what God has called you to. When you fashion objects of worship out of the things of this world, you can fill in the blank. The flesh will rule over you. I want you to look at this. Look at what happened as soon as God was no longer in the focus. As soon as God was out of focus, what happened? They completely abandoned themselves to the flesh. What did they abandon themselves to? Gluttony, drunkenness, immorality. Takes a body for all of that. They were completely given to the appetites of the flesh. Are you a worshiper of handmade gods? Do the things of this world have your focus? Also, I've noticed in counseling, people who have entered into unbelief, find themselves overwhelmed by stress, and they comfort themselves. They call it self-soothing with the things of the flesh. You find them feeding their fears. They run after the appetites of the flesh because they've got to have something to make them feel more secure, better. And it's not going to be God. Because whenever you suggest that that the problem might be that they need to draw closer to the one who has their life, they can almost become belligerent with you. Look at verse 8. It says, We must not indulge nor tolerate sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. Now, this immorality is a fleshly indulgence. All that they did that day was the fruit of fleshly living. And, you know, immorality is paraded in front of us 24-7 by every form of media to the point that it's no longer shocking. And why? Why do they push the envelope like that? Because the flesh is all they have to live to. And when the flesh is in control, whatever should be normal, whatever should be wholesome is perverted and twisted. And you know what? We have this idea in... America, and I think it's just a general idea of man and that if we can get more people involved, it, it turns from perversion to normality. They gave themselves over to the work of the flesh. Now, here's the thing. Romans 6.12, Romans 6.12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts and passion. You know, the first part of that verse says, do not let. You know what that tells you? You have a choice. 
You have a choice. This verse also tells you what happens when you let sin reign. You will obey its lust and its passion. See, it's not as complicated as you think. You either live to one or you live to the other. And you live to the flesh. This is what the flesh will bring. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. It says, we must not tempt the Lord. Now get, it, get the picture here. Paul's just giving them lists of, of things that they, that they should not do using Israel as an example. But literally what he is doing is he's bullet pointing the fruits of fleshy living. And he's not bringing up anything that was unique to Israel. In every one of these things, we know that the Corinthians were involved. They had given way to these things. You see, they had become complacent. They become spiritually lethargic. The world became more important to them than the truth. And they had set it aside. Paul says... Oh, and and by the way, we must not tempt the Lord. That is to test his patience, question his purpose, or exploit his goodness as some of them did. And they were killed by serpents. And do not murmur in unwarranted discontent as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now what that means is they presumed upon the goodness of God. They went as far as they could in sin. They persisted in their lack of trust and their disobedience. They questioned his guidance. They questioned the leadership he put before them. They did not trust his leadership. They were second-guessing God. That's what that's saying. They were tempting God by second-guessing God. And you know that when you second-guess God, it's pretty clear here that God sees that as a provocation. Now, he's already responded that through Jesus. But he sees it as a provocation. I want you to understand something. It is his mercy that keeps you from destroying yourself with your own decisions. With your own appetites. With your own desires. It is his grace that keeps you from literally destroying yourself and others by the decisions you would make, the plans that you would make. When you stand up and believe that somehow you know better than God does, then you will be critical of what God has done in your life. And you will point to all that He's laid before you. And you will say, that was wrong. If only I had chosen this and God had done that. If only I had gone this direction and God had done this. You know, things would be totally different. Let me tell you, shoulda, woulda, coulda is a lie from the enemy. And when you second guess God, you're judging Him. Now how successful do you expect that to be? That's what they were doing. Do you resent the plans of God? Verse 10 deals with complaining. Boy, he's really getting on the pew, isn't he? You know that complaining is the first evidence of unbelief. And the only alternative to complaining is trusting. I know that's that's distasteful, but it's the truth. And discontent is the reward for self-centeredness. It is. You want to earn it? Go for it. Do you complain against your boss, your neighbor, your wife, your husband, your children? Do you think you're entitled to complain? It seems we Americans think we are. You know, there is room for constructive criticism that deals with 
behavior or methodology with a goal towards bettering and improving. But that is not complaining. Complaining is something totally different. See, complaining will always attach the person's behavior to the person. Complaining will condemn the person along with their behavior. You ever notice that? Because when we're complaining, we got a target, don't we? And typically that target is somebody. Isn't it? Yeah. So, complaining condemns. And in this case, they were complaining against God and His chosen leadership. Now, this is rebellion against authority. And those who enter into it create an environment of unrest and fear. You know that from personal experience. I'm not telling you anything that you haven't experienced. So when you started becoming discontent and when you started complaining against your circumstances or the people who are in your circumstance, suddenly there is an environment of unrest and fear and frustration. All of those things come to you. By the way, for you kids, your parents are your authority. The Bible speaks against, Scripture speaks against complaining against your parents because... Guess who made them your parents? And, just to make sure everybody's toes get properly stepped on, ladies, your husband is your authority. When you're complaining against him, or emphatically making suggestions, which is better known as nagging, you're complaining against God. You're acting in unbelief. That's really the truth of it. If you want clarity on that, go read First Peter. And it'll show you. When you're carnal, complaining feels as natural as breathing. In fact, I know some people, you cannot talk with them without, talk with them without hearing a complaint about something. Something. Just wait for it. It's coming. Usually within the first two sentences, we're going to complain. And it becomes that natural. And here's the thing about complaining. You always feel like it's justified, don't you? You always feel that way, regardless of whether it's true or not. Let me tell you something. This is why it's so important for us to understand who we are in Christ. Because as a new creation, you have no room for complaining. Did you get a sorry husband? Well, guess what? God allowed it. Did you get rebellious kids? Well, guess what? God allowed it. You have a lousy job? Well, guess what? God allowed it. You are in Christ. Nothing touches your life except that God allows it. And you know what? God has planned that all things work together for good. Now what that means is that He is literally going to use the adversity in your life to conform you to truth. But the issue with you is is that you're blinded by self-centeredness. If that is your condition, then you will do nothing but complain against it. Hello, Israel. And you'll spend your life wandering in the wilderness of unbelief that you chose. But God, He's faithful. He's faithful. He'll take care of you whether you're in the wilderness or you're in the promised land. God is still your provision. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Now these things happened to them, the Israelites, as an example, a warning to us. They were written... 
for our instruction, to admonish and equip us, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, be, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. This is a warning to the child of God. The context is that in the midst of God's blessing, even like Israel, even while eating spiritual food and drinking from spiritual fountains, you can become carnal. You can choose to live according to the flesh. You can be man-centered. You are never immune to temptation. And as long as you live in these earth suits, while our bodies are still alive, you will confront temptation. The choice is yours. You choose how you will live. You choose whether you will live in a life of hope and confidence in a God who loves you unconditionally or you will live in the confidence of your flesh that is ebbs low and goes high and continually finds you empty regardless of how good it gets. You choose. Let's look at verse 13. Paul addresses temptation. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience. Nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to His Word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with temptation, he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well. So that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. Now, this verse could be a sermon series in and of itself. And as we look on the verse, I want to remind you that Paul, again, is dealing with carnal Christians. Carnal believers who have, in fact, yielded to sin. They've yielded to every one of these things that he just mentioned. They have been living life according to the flesh, albeit religious flesh. And he has just served them with a warning against certain sinful behaviors. All of which were going on in that fellowship. Now, this behavior is the fruit of fleshy living. And Paul deals now with the issue of temptation. The first thing we must ask is temptation sin. Is it? No, if it were sin, Jesus would be the most sinful man that ever lived because he was tempted in all things. Hebrews 4.15 The enemy knows that the man of sin, that is your old man, who you were before Christ, is dead. He knows that it died with Christ. He also knows that the new creation has no appetite for sin. So he appeals to your flesh. The only way to get you entangled in sin is to get you to own it. That's the only way. To get you to forget who you are in Christ. He will convince you that it is something that you want. Something that you desire. If he can do that, then temptation becomes sin. And if you believe that the desires of the body are you, then you believe that temptation is no longer an outside influence, but part of who you are. And you are condemned. That's how it works. That's why we are not to identify with the flesh. 
so that we do not identify with sin. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk and live habitually. That means moment by moment. In the Holy Spirit. In the new creation. One spirit with Christ's spirit. Responsive to and controlled and guided by the spirit. The inclinations of the new creation are in line with the spirit of God. Because they are in fact created and given of him. If you live in this way then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh. So what is the, what is the natural conclusion? That if I'm living to the flesh, I'm not living to the Spirit of God. If I'm living to the Spirit of God, I am living to the flesh. If I live to the flesh, I will gratify it. Period. If I live to the Spirit... I will live in the truth of Christ as my life. And I'll be blessed. Now that's the choice. What is the enemy's job? To get you to believe that life is in the flesh. Temptations may vary, but our response is always the same. The enemy wants you to personalize sin. Somehow to make it unique to you so that you will own the sin and feel isolated and hopeless. And the scripture is clear. There's no temptation that comes against you that, but what is common to humanity. In other words, you will not face a sin that is not common to man. And you are to answer, this is the cool thing, you are to answer every sin the same way. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.